Let's go, Lim. 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 Lim, you're flexing! You are listening to Pada Bang, a podcast that breaks down every episode of The Sopranos one at a time. It's a privilege to be with you guys today. We've been fighting sicknesses and mm-hmm. schedules to commemorate today that we all got together the week before Christmas. We are enjoying some uh, Woodford Reserve Distillers Select. So if this trails, if this podcast somehow trails downward around the 30-minute mark, that would explain why. Okay, so today we're talking about episode 11, season 2, House Arrest. Air date was March 19th, 2000. It was written by Terrence Winter and directed by Tim Van Patten. Before we dive in, the wheels have been set in motion for a DVD box set. Several listeners have pointed me to the bonus content on there that could be very useful for this podcast, so I just wanted to let everyone know for the record that that's coming down the pipe. I don't have a DVD player. I haven't had a DVD player for probably 10 years, but that's you know, baby steps. Um, (laughs) HBO synopsis. Having dodged a legal bullet, Tony is advised by his lawyer to spend more time at his businesses. Junior looks for diversions to relieve the tedium of house arrest and eventually finds one in the company of a police widow. Meanwhile, Melfi's problems boil over while eating dinner with her son. Title, house arrest. Tony's second home by order of Neil Mink and Junior stuck at home by order of law. The two stylistic points that Autopsy also mentions here is that there's an overhead shot of the window-heavy living room in the Sopranos house, suggesting a fish bowl. Mm -hmm. And then that's also bolstered later by Tony doodling fishes in a bowl. I saw that. That was so wild. I didn't see that while passing time at Barone Sanitation. So, Naya, before we jump into the show proper, this was a very musical episode. And I think it's a Terrence Winter thing incorporating music into the actual episode as opposed to, like, the bumper at the beginning and the bumper at the end. And very on-the-nose music. Like, the lyrics just fit. Exactly. The song at the beginning is Space Invader by The Pretenders. Big sinks. Big sinks in this episode. Gotta Serve Somebody by Bob Dylan is playing while Tony paces around the house. That song came out in 1979 and won a Grammy that year. And this song has also appeared in billions. You know what I noticed, too, is the title of that album is Slow Train Coming. Interesting. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Disco Inferno by The Tramps. That was a good one. Playing when Richie and Tony talk at the, to quote Richie. Garbage man's ball, whatever the fuck it is. <laughs> During the panic attack, uh, the music that's playing is More Than a Feeling by Boston. So you hear, I closed my eyes and slipped away <laughs> just as he falls. You're going to do a little rendition? I was going to do it, but I don't want to. Can't do it. Um, <laughs> came out in 1976. This was Boston's biggest hit, and it took them five years to make it happen, and it was created before they even got their record contract, which is really cool. That is um, cool. Amazing little aside about the lead singer of Boston, Tom Scholz. He has a master's degree in mechanical engineering from MIT, and he pivoted to music much later in life. So he's an overachiever. He's what Malcolm Gladwell would call an outlier in every <laughs> sense of the word. Finally... The song that plays at the end is You Can't Put Your Arms Around a Memory by Johnny Thunders. And the reason I'm mentioning this now at the beginning is because, as you guys know, Michael Imperioli was in here, and he pointed me to this song, but I was too dumb to catch the reference when he made it. It comes from a line in a popular show called The Honeymooners, uh, which I think he was a fan of. 
He cited two shows as being good shows or great shows. One of them was The Sopranos and then The Honeymooners. And there's a connection between the two shows vis-a-vis this song. I totally went over my head. Wow. And I, I only figured it out when we were putting this episode together. Some good lyrics in that one. Good lyrics that Guns N' Roses and Green Day have both covered this song. And this song also was in a Scorsese movie, Bringing Out the Dead, which I've never seen. Have you guys seen it? No. No. The last thing I want to say about You Can't Put Your Arms Around a Memory is that, amazingly, it was used in the final episode of Anthony Bourdain's Parts Unknown. R.I.P. Yeah. Okay, so Tony goes to see his lawyer. The Neil Mink Lecture Series, which is my Netflix spinoff series. It's a good one. Okay. I figured when I saw that note. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, I'd watch that show. He wants Tony to insulate himself from these, quote, shenanigans, okay? One business that Tony has, we learn, is Garden State Rendering, which is all about boiling fat. Uh, Another business that we know all too well in the show is Barone Sanitation. Neil has a great line. The feds were a business, Anthony. Millions of tax dollars invested in watching your ass. Sooner or later, just like you, they're going to want to return on that investment. Any thoughts on why the Bing was problematic for the lawyer? Like, why was it not okay to hang out at the Bing? That's a legitimate business. But in the bag, it's probably not. Uh... I don't know if he caught a W-2 there, though. I okay, think he came to hang out. There you go. Yeah. Junior in the hospital. First of all, the print on Bobby's shirt. Beyond. Hashtag Soprano style. Yes. Marshall McLuhan, the reference. Marshall McLuhan is, of course, a Canadian philosopher who's the theorist behind the expression, the medium is the message, which Sir Autopsy beautifully explicates. Basically, the medium is the message as opposed to the content itself. And that's kind of like a nice little encapsulation of David Chase and The Sopranos, right? With what he did through TV. Um, Catherine Romano, we're introduced to her. Did you guys notice the Godfather reference? Or did you guys see a Godfather reference when Bobby closes the door on her? Hmm. Was that a Godfather one moment for you? You know, at the very end when, uh, is her name Kay? Kay, yeah. Kay gets the door closed when Michael becomes the Don. That's true. Yeah. She's looking. Is that too reachy or is that... I have a a crazy reach theory about her, but I'll save it as the title of uh, my Netflix show. I saw a painting that I liked when that guy came in to put the... What's it called? Cuff? I'm a little slow today. Ankle bracelet? Yeah, there's a painting of fruit and a clock behind him. Okay. There's a lot of fruit for some reason in this episode. Paul Cezanne references. Yeah, and then time because like... Everyone's really bored in this episode. The There's whole a lot episode. of clocks, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Did you count the clocks? There's a lot of clocks. I tried to, but a couple weeks ago was the episode of the crucifixes, and this is the episode of the clocks. Clocks and fruit for me. I was distracted by the patterns. I wonder yeah. if the patterns on all the clothing that the characters were wearing had anything to do with the fact that nothing really happened in this episode. Well, and there's fruit that Tony is sitting next to when he's reading Waste News. Yeah. And it's that whole waste over healthy totally and he oh, was eating, eating a popsicle. a popsicle yeah and even in the beginning it says like catering and all this shitty food it says like there's cabbage like, yeah and then there's all this gross crap being dumped that's a really beautiful intro sequence by the way i i wanted to talk about it but there's really not much to say other than like very nice cold open to the yeah. show it could have actually been a literal cold open where then it cuts to the opening credits definitely there was a lot of overhead shots in this episode which took me out of being with the characters and reminded me I was like watching a show a little we're bit. watching the fish yeah. in the bowl. By the way, your uh, revelation last week on the Star Ledger leak has literally got people hashtag shook. <laughs> I don't even remember what I said about it. So honestly. I have one that might compete. 
when I got the edit, when I was doing the edit for the show and I heard it again, I forgot that you had said that. And I was like, I wonder if this podcast would just be five minutes of like, <laughs> here's the HBO Highlights. synopsis and here's Naya telling you everything you're ever going to need to know about this episode. Melfi. So she's drinking before sessions. Two references, cultural references that I really liked were the sliding doors reference. Tony's fuck no, seven. I was impressed that Tony was up to speed on sliding doors, to be honest with you. I feel like that would not be something that would be on his, in his lexicon. Also, if I recall correctly about that movie, both outcomes are bad, right? I don't remember sliding doors, how that ends, but seven, yes. No, 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 but the, but sliding doors, like there's like an alternate parallel universes of like how your life could be if you, she had made the train versus missed the train. But Mm. I, do you you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Well, and um, Junior mentions when he's talking to Livia uh, about how all leading to the cemetery on different paths. And that was another tie-in to Sliding Doors. I thought it was a nod to Sliding Doors. I had a weird connection with, um, later in the series, Silvio says, seven deadly sins and yours is pride. And Tony didn't realize, you know, that sin. And I'm thinking it's because he never finished seven. Uh That's good. Oh, what's in the box? What's in the fucking box? My main memory, just to put a bow on sliding doors, my main memory from the movie is that the song Thank You by Dido was featured on it. I don't know about you guys, but I could listen to that track on repeat forever. How does that one go? Oh, don't make me do it. Oh, yeah. I want to it's the song. So, Give yeah. me the best day. That one right Oh, man. Oh. Whoa. Oh, you're going to make me cry. <laughs> I can do really good at my Aren't you on uh, singing I know. cancellation? I am not. I'm not supposed to be What singing. was that thing you did with <clears throat> Celine Dion? Though? You like, I broke a bunch so of rules on that. I was so bored. Okay. I was so bored. And that's why I think where I got my stomach bug, honestly. Massive but skill set, though. I love trying to emulate people. I've well, got Celine. Like I can do Dido. She does living or something. I know. Mm-hmm. But no, but like there's a lot of singers that sing for a living, but that don't touch Celine Dion. <sighs> Sister. I try every day to like be wow. her. Anyway, Dido. Anyway, Dido. 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 You, 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 like Dido. I'm a little Dido. Okay. I love Dido. Thank She's you. a big influence. That White Flag album is a beautiful, incredible. What album. happened to Dido? Where'd she, she go? She cashed out. I was like, I'm good. Really? She like moved to Greece, and now she's coming back for the first time. She's releasing new music this year. Good. Mm-hmm. She's like a modern day Sade, if that makes any sense. Yes. And anyway, Eminem heard the song in this movie, and that's what inspired Stan. Mm-hmm. It's fucking awesome. You I know, love that one. Okay, so Tony goes to Barone Sanitation. He meets Connie, which John just pointed out. Uh, He learns that Richie's pushing coke along trash routes. This got me wondering why the garbage business was so attractive to the mob. So there's a little write-up on mental floss by a guy named Matt Soniak that eloquently breaks down the business. And I'm going to read from it now just to give people some context. The mob really got into the trash business in the mid-20th century when many cities stopped collecting commercial waste and left businesses to find private haulers. Mobsters from New York to Chicago saw an opportunity and either started or took over with money, intimidation, or violence hauling firms. Within a city, crews would divvy up routes, rig contract bids, and harass and extort non-mob haulers and customers in order to quash competition and keep their prices high which is exactly what we saw. By the way, the gangsters were mostly from Italian and Irish-American crime families, so this goes back to that whole beef, right? Probably fighting over roots. I thought you were asking what the logistics were on how they were pushing coke. Yeah, so that was my follow-up. So you have the trash roots set up. Now, how does the selling drugs on those roots game work? Do you have any insights on that? So I was thinking that it's an easy place to do Mm. drop-offs where if they're 
dropping a couple kilos of coke on a certain trash bin and someone comes in and can pick it up. Um, the smell can be masks because of all of the various trash smells. And if something was to be found, they've got a little bit of uh, insulation from that because, I don't know, I've just been picking up trash all day yeah. and someone left some coke in there. I like so it's it. a, a safe place to travel. Makes sense. The smell masking is smart. Yeah. Does blow smell? This is really naive of me. But a little gonna, bit. It does have a smell? Yeah. It's like industrially. Baby powder? Gladly just went went with that answer. Just <laughs> I, I can do that one. <laughs> um, I like the German shepherd outside, oh, yeah. chained to the... That what was did very... That, did that symbolize anything Yeah, they're you? all stuck. They all are stuck and trapped in their, their houses in this episode. They're like a dog that can't get off its leash. The dryness of Melfi's hands at Elliot's. So it turns out that dry hands is a symptom for alcohol Of course, abuse. dehydration. Dehydration. Melfi says working with Tony is like watching a train wreck, but she can't stop herself from wanting to hear it. Why won't she stop seeing Tony? Because she's bored. Okay. I think she's bored. I think her other patients aren't interesting. The job is kind of mundane. Yeah. And this is like some spark fire. And there's some weird guilt, which is why I think she drinks. But I also feel like... She's glamorizing it in this weird way because he even gave her an out. She even admits it, but she didn't take it. So I think when he says that it's like she has a compulsion, Elliot says to her, you have a compulsion. You're obsessed. So there's like this weird. And her defensiveness of that also is kind of a tell. Yeah. The only person that isn't bored is Carmela. She I've realized like with the whole lessons of like how to be present and like live in a bowl i actually read or looked up like do fishes know they're in a tank i wanted to know and they said they don't have the capacity to know but they learn the tank that they're in and i feel like carmela's learned the tank she lives in and like finds the things that she wants to do to make her happy she goes over to the little uh, rock castle and get her eyebrows done she has her book club she knows how to exist and live in her tank like very well and i'm like damn because no one else does. You see that, you know? She's content. Yeah. She's, she's living a happy in a fish. Yeah, we did talk about a couple episodes before about her being a prisoner in her own home. Yeah. But maybe she's accepted it now. What happens at AA meetings? I know there's an opening prayer and then discussion, but I've never been to one. Have either of you ever been to one? Or do you know someone who's been to one? I know some people that have been to them. Yeah, I have some friends. What happens? I'm asking because I'm just curious. It's my understanding it's fairly informal. It's a lot of testimony. And there are some people that share their story, and then it goes on to the next person and next person, and then there's some consistent beginning and end, a little bit of prayer and some coin things, coins, like uh, a lot things. of celebration of um, significant lengths of time of being sober. So cakes are given out or chips for a certain period of time. Um, and you get a sponsor. We see later we meet certain sponsors of certain characters. Because reason I brought it up is because Elliot suggests that she goes to a meeting, mm-hmm. a 12-step meeting, which is synonymous with AA. And she kind of, you know, recoils, but then acquiesces. Um, junior, Judge Crater reference, which is a reference to a New York City judge who disappeared in 1930 while out on the town. Bobby says to him, I thought you were bored. Talking to that dreadnought would help. These are all just lines from that sequence that I found interesting. A dreadnought, I didn't understand the reference because that refers to like a battleship. There's another definition though. Is it like an urban dictionary definition? Well, it's a heavy overcoat for stormy weather. Okay. Hmm. Which I think he would say she's like a like a shitty coat. I think Corrado, the acting, I was his range in this episode for me, I didn't notice it before. 
there's so so many nuances of him being bored and then like having a glimpse. He does a lot of remember when in this episode of conveying things in the past. He's the king of that, though. Yeah, but it's weird because he's doing it in a way that I don't know. It's it's really interesting. No one's really listening to him. Also, why were they in the basement? And you hear school kids outside where she, he's talking to her, and he confesses he's on house arrest. They're in the basement. Is it for discretion, maybe? I Maybe, but I also think it's like everything leads to the cemetery, and there are these two old people that met in a hospital that they're, like, on their way out. So they're, like, down, and the sound of children's outside the window was just very weird. Like, Or she chose to go downstairs because he followed back with the tea. Yeah. Companionship for him never seemed to be a priority growing up. I think he would have had a more significant significant other growing up but he had his side boca girl and i think it's only now that he's starting to come to grips with not having the mafia uh to tend to that totally he's going back into the regularness of life and finding someone that might fill that void well even seeing his face and i wondered like why are they showing that the clean tray of the money gut that bobby ate he was so upset that he ate all the pasta because he wanted to try it. Where's that fucking man go? It's gone. Half a fucking tray in there. I was hungry. Son of a bitch. Yeah, and he was just like, that was something that could have brought him pleasure. And you just see such a disappointment. But when he confesses, he says to her, like, I understand if you don't want to see me anymore. And she says, no. Like, And so you see him get that little win of a little pleasure. And I was like, that's such a, he acted so well, like such a little smile, but it's like, oh, thank God, give him something. He was, this is a miserable, like, string of shitty shit that happened to him. Tony confronts Richie. Disco Inferno's playing, like we mentioned earlier. Uh, A couple of lines, I don't care if you're working with Walmart, knock it the fuck off. That line only works, though, because of the way Tony sold it. I agree. Right? If you read it on the page, like I am right now, it's kind of like whatever, but it's the, it's the Tony effect. And then he says, you know, I fucking hate the way you make me fucking ride you. Now get the fuck out of here. Now, listen, forget old school for a second and the Manson lamps, okay? I'm surprised that Richie didn't jump Tony right there. Boiling point. Or were his eyes enough for you guys? Like, there was like a moment where he embarrassed him in public. He's old school. I felt like that was a moment for him to jump onto Tony. And it, any reaction? No, I don't think it was a tipping point. No? I, he was caught off by the off. Uh, the Coke reference. I like his smirk of like, yeah. what? You want well, it, was a nice, it was a nice way of Tony to ask him. Or yeah. it was a nice way of Tony to tell him that I know what you're doing. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on why Richie didn't, uh, Richie and company didn't make a bigger deal about the fact that Tony fainted? Like his leadership, like weakness? He made no. a reference to Junior, the, the following scene with him. He's the boss. Whether he has grand mouths or not. And this shit is okay with you? I know much you love him, Junior. I don't want to say anything disparaging. It was a, a bone of contention and a place where he could uh, poke the weakness of Tony and start to wrangle uh, Junior into this idea of bumping Tony out again or attempting to. Is that what he's doing? Is he working, Junior? It's a slow play. A slow play, yeah. Precipitated by Janice. Jan. She was super excited to be at the garbage she's man's a, ball. Yeah. yeah. Or whatever she, the fuck. She's a real mob wife now. And even when he takes uh, Richie to go, Carmela introduces her to Barone's wife. Yeah. So, like, she's in the... That's when she gets really giddy. Yeah, that's like she's on the on the top level. Did her outfit mean anything to you? 
I thought it was preppier than I was it was which what I'm used to, but I think it's just the shift of seeing her in such a hippie outfit and now seeing her a little bit country club. Yeah, just more playing the game of what most women in that scene wear now. She's a mob wife now. A mob fiance. She's dangerous. Yeah, fiance. And are they engaged? Because they say we're getting engaged, and then has he put a ring on it? I don't think so. That's the key. I don't think so either. Carmelo's book club. Room full of Italians. This is my observation. It's a room full of Italians That's my reading series. about the Irish American immigrant experience. Okay? Wild. The Tiz book that's on the table is Frank McCourt's follow-up to Angela's Ashes. Angela's Ashes came out is a book that came out in 1996 and was a memoir by Irish-American author Frank McCourt. It won a Pulitzer, won a bunch of other awards, and Tiz is the sequel that came out in 1999. Do you guys have any insights? I never read the books. Do you know why they were such big deals? Something about heartache. About the struggle? Yeah. Because she says, like, he makes heartache funny. And I was like, man, David Chase kind of does that, too. He makes sad things funny mm, in a way. He does. Oh, well, there you go. What? Fucking it. Naya just comes in hot. She just, you slip it in. <laughs> you slip the assist, like, wide open for an easy, well, gotta, for an easy know, layup. I like that. Two references in one show. Two references. I got three. Tony, oh, Tony. You're going to get stuffed before you do that. <laughs> Melfi and Son. Melfi's son introduces us to a guy by the name of Jacques Lacan, uh, who's considered the most controversial psychoanalyst since Freud. And he's talking about deconstructivist philosophy with his mom. And this, I tried to parse it. I read Autopsy as well, who does a beautiful job. But it's complex, and I'm pretty sure I don't fully understand its underpinnings. (laughs) But one takeaway I was able to glean is that relationships between things are never fixed or knowable. Fluid, basically. That, in the context of this show, and what we know about it, is pretty on point. The fact that things are not fixed or fully knowable. And deconstructivist architecture is actually a very popular thing, especially in Los Angeles. Frank Gehry is a name that most people have heard of, even if you don't know anything about architecture. It's uh, his style of architecture is deconstructivist architecture, and it has basically to do with this idea of being formless. So stop smoking, the back and forth. It's a really cool scene. Who was right? I didn't like that actress's voice, so I'm going to say Melfi. You're very rude. I know. Um... (laughs) Was, was this scene exaggerated or was it meant to be because of the alcohol? Uh, I feel like that was the necessary scene to show her just being a little ridiculous. Um, and for someone as composed as Jennifer Melfi, she could have handled it much better. Uh, I don't know if it was a commentary for that time when there was a crossover of... Smoking, no smoking. Smoking, no smoking. But it's also what you said earlier, you know, just people who deal, like, can handle their alcohol better. Because even in the episode, obviously she was caught off guard by seeing Tony and she said toodaloo and she got really upset. But she was, like, a little drunk and drank too much with her friends. Like, some, I just think she just can't handle her alcohol and she's just using it as an excuse because she's stuck seeing treating Tony, but she's bored in, in her life. So she made this problem for nothing. Yeah. You know, she doesn't want to talk about deconstructive theory with her son either. It's on my nitpick list and unnecessary scene. Yeah. Real quickly, Junior's hand gets stuck in the sink, which is a famous scene from the show for casual fans and religious fans alike. Richie's line, you flex it! (laughs) Is it interesting that he has his hand stuck in a garbage disposal and Tony's now stuck at a garbage disposal place yes the parallel of that house it's amazing it's amazingly intentional but it's super subtle and it will go right over your head unless you're looking for it Mm -hmm. but it's that's that's what this that's what this whole thing's about man did the painting of the cat go over your head 
it, on top of his telephone? I saw it, but I didn't know what to make of it. Because he said, I'm not a cat. I don't shit in a box. But there's a cat on top of his phone, like, in his house, which is like he shits in his house. This this is his box. He actually is a cat. Yeah. Shitting in a box. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Man, Naya, Naya is got another one. Naya's got a fucking triple-double tonight. Oh, okay. he did it again. <laughs> That's my... Um, it's the Tums. <laughs> you got to come in Tums sick and all bourbon. the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but this is back-to-back nights of, like, bringing the fire, man. I'm, I'm trying to do my job, you know? Okay, Melfi, Luvox. It's for compulsions and OCD. This whole thing about why she can't let go of tea. So there's science to why we can't look away from tragedy, okay? So whether it's a morning commute, accident or some act of violence we feel compelled to stare at the aftermath and this is very much what i see her doing with tony why can't we look away is what i researched i was like why can't we look away from things and to summarize very briefly disaster triggers our survival instincts which is the amygdala portion of the brain which in turn sends signals to another part of our brain to help us analyze the disaster and determine whether we're personally at risk so Once we perceive that it's a non-threat to us, why do we stare? So we're Mm -hmm. safe from that. That's not involving us. We have nothing to do with that. Why do we keep staring? It's because it gives us, and I think that Melfi said this to Elliot, it gives us an opportunity to confront our own fears of things like death, loss, pain, suffering, while feeling safe. Without the consequences. Without the consequences. So it's very much what is happening with Melfi. But here, I'm going to follow this up and like wrap it up. This doesn't entirely explain Melfi's plight other than to say that one of the anecdotes to this fight-or-flight feedback loop that goes on inside our bodies is to engage in proactively helping the victim. So her proactively helping Tony is a way to justify her watching the train wreck. Got it. Was it interesting to see her be so set back by that diagnosis for someone who is a psychiatrist and I'm sure she prescribes Luvox that it was like a a changing moment for her. Like, good God, I'm being prescribed this. Yeah. What I'm dishing out is now coming back at me full circle. Of course. Yeah. Damn. It's like a basketball player who has to change his free throw, has to change the style of his shot. He's like, I've been making this basket for 20 years, and now a coach is going to come in and tell me I have to change my shot? Tiger Woods, same thing. Do they do that? Yeah, they change the mechanics of their shooting for longevity, for competition, adjusting to the player. And Tiger Woods went through a thing a few years ago where he had to change his swing, and he won like... 10, 12 majors with his current swing. And then all of a sudden, he's like, if you want to have longevity in this game or if you want to go to the next level, you basically have to unlearn everything you've learned and then relearn it. So, with that number four now, we should have a little cha-ching register going. So oh, right. like a, a the light's coming hoop. underneath you, too, and you've got, like, this sinister, like, and I, well, I, have, I have a little bit of the Woodford Reserve in me, so I'm starting to sweat. So yeah. I'm getting lathered up here. I love it. Um... Junior complains to Tony in the hospital about what Richie told him, which is he's not letting us sell coke on the trash routes. Junior has a line that says, why can't we all just get along? Tony mentions Albert Anastasia on the barber room floor. Do you guys have anything besides the fact that he was a mob boss who was assassinated in a barbershop? I had some interesting things like uh, the chair that he was assassinated on was auctioned for $7,000 in uh, 2012. And... We all need to go to Las Vegas. There's a mob museum. Been there. It's amazing. Yeah, it sounds... I had some friends of mine went. It's Because small. I know my association with the podcast. And I, you gotta go. It's got everything. Did you guys notice in that same scene, when the doctor came in to interrupt them, right outside was like a path painting? Did you see that one? Because mm-hmm. they all are trying to escape or get away from where they are. 
but they're stuck. Yeah, the choices we make. Mm. Tony's skin doc, got a, Tony's got a little itch. It's getting worse. He goes to see a doctor who, who gives a, him cortisone cream, but then recommends stress management. And the comment I want to make here is the beautiful cut to Connie. Because Connie can scratch that itch. Oh, rim shot! But it's, this is the creators of the show having fun. And, and and letting us in on a little bit of the of the process. You know, the cut to Connie is, you know, just so smart. Um, was Lou on the take, the husband of Catherine Romano? Oh, yeah. Of course, yeah. right? And I've got a deep dive later. That okay, gonna... save that for last yeah. call. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she was asking Junior. Can I ask you something, Corrado? Was my Lou ever, you know, on the take? No, of course not. Why would you ask such a thing? Sometimes, you know, I'd find money. Hundreds of dollars, cash, in his pockets at night. Probably one at the racetrack. He had to be on the take, because Junior knew an unhealthy amount about him. That's true. By the way, did Junior and Catherine Romano have a thing? No, and that's why I think there was a thing with Johnny, because that uh, Olivia alludes to that later, mm-hmm. but... Um, yeah, Junior knew a lot about that whole backstory of the family. And maybe that's why he was distancing himself a little bit. Yeah. Oh, because maybe it was Johnny's girl. Yeah. I imagine, too, that back in the many cents of Newark, that uh, that was one of those, she could have been a mob wife or she could have been a detective wife. And there may have been some blurred lines among people that hung out in the neighborhoods together. And she ended up you know, not being with Johnny and ended up being with the detective mm. instead. Sliding doors. I Sliding like that. doors, yeah. I would watch that series. Did you cast her on your way over here, Fine Sir? A young Catherine Romano? No, but give me some, give me a couple minutes. Did you notice the guy, Catherine Romano's son, looked really, like, furtively at Junior? Maybe it's because he knew that one of them was... Oh, I've got a good one. Catherine Romano is, is in the prequel. She's got to be. She's got to be. be. So Janice and Richie's new house... I had an observation. There's a mezuzah in the doorway next to Richie, and David Proval is Jewish. I thought that was a nice touch. If that was intentional or not, I don't know. Is T jealous of the house, or could he give two fucks? I don't think he cares. No, he, he leaves the house and says, you poor bastard, he, Richie is becoming him, He's, and he feels sorry for him. Why'd the lawn question tip Tony off so bad? And it's almost as if Richie knew it would tip him off. Did that make any sense to you guys? Tony is running around this entire episode sad that he can't be out with his boys and being the mob guy. And I feel like Richie knows how to twist Tony. And all he started talking to him about is about all the boring stuff in life that Tony doesn't want to deal with. Let's talk about the walls or the lawn. And just the way that he says it and looks at him, like he he knew with each strike he was going to get under Tony's skin. I also thought it was weird that Connie was wearing a cheetah print shirt and Janice was wearing a cheetah print shirt in the next scene. I doubt that he noticed that, but I did. I, I think Tony was so in, invested in the moment of just getting stress relief that he wasn't really paying attention to her wardrobe. Yeah, but who knows? it was just a weird decision to put her in Cheetah after we had just seen, because that's... Well, the juxtaposition of, like, uh, how many times do we see cuts from, like, young children to the Bing girls? Yeah. Or cuts from Janice to the Bing, or Livia to the Bing. Or also Richie's sleeping with my sister in some weird subconscious way. He's still Cougar protective. to Cheetah? Um, 
Autopsy nicely summed up the fishbowl concept by linking it a third time to Richie's looking out the window of a brick-and-mortar house at Tony. And Tony was somehow free when he escaped to the outdoors. I know that there's some deep-meaning thing there, but I've been sick this week, and I haven't been able to, like, feel comfortable with, like, a rationalization for it. But what was it about Tony going outside other than to show this fishbowl thing? Did you... Because the the camera chose to show him outside, breathing, gasping. It was about 60 seconds of airtime. Any reaction to that? I mean, I think when Janice says there's good school districts around here, in my head I thought of a school of fish where I feel like they're all kind of in the same situation and he just needed to get out of it because it was becoming apparent his sisters, they're, they're all the same. And I think he just couldn't deal with it. And the digs Richie was making, he just needed to, he needed to escape. And this is one area where he can actually choose to do that. He can get out and leave. Do you think the two panic attacks he has in this episode, because that was a borderline, that was a panic attack. He just didn't fall over. They both were triggered by Richie. Were they triggered by the fact that he's also on house arrest, a self-imposed house arrest? Is that part of it? Is that, are there two related? Uh, A little bit. It's, I've tried to look at uh, the sequential panic attacks and see if there's some link. And sometimes it's through a conflict or other times it's just barbecuing. So it's tough to or it was the ducks. Yeah. Um, so it segues nicely. Melfi's second session comes up, right? And she asks, you know why sharks have to keep moving? And Tony's not moving in this episode. He's not allowed to move. Yeah. And this whole idea of elixithymia, which is the ceaseless action that enables people to avoid acknowledging their abhorrent behavior. But that's what, I think that's what, that's I what think, it is. Yeah, I don't think he's bored. I think he's just depressed and has too much time to think about shit. Did you notice that Tony tried to change the subject when she mentioned elixithymia? And then Melfi looks away kind of bored. And then when he realizes that she's disengaged, he allows her to persist. Um, In doing so, in showing her that he tried to change the subject, he actually demonstrated the condition that she was describing. And it's a very nice summation that you're a shark in a fishbowl. And that's why this shit ain't working for you. Yeah. You with me? Yeah, elixithymia has also been linked to panic disorders directly. Yeah. So it, one begets the other. I want to rewind for a second to the phone call with Livia and Junior, which you mentioned a few minutes ago. I just really loved her face when Junior told her... Listen, Livia, what you don't know could fill a book. It's a great line, number one. Number two, Nancy Marchand's reaction is gold. Pure, cinematic gold. It was a great dig for him to let her know that he wasn't manipulated by her anymore. It didn't work. What, what? That's my question. When did that change? When did their love when for each other When did their end? relationship yeah. change? Probably had that botched assassination. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. When when realized that she actually nudged him to do this, yeah. and when it didn't work, he's like, this woman's going to get me in a lot of trouble. Yeah, he's he's much wiser after all of that. Like How He did... sees Janice from a mile away, too. Yeah. All of a sudden, he's like Mr. Uh, Kojak over here. What are the, what's, the, what's the guy? Uh, Rockford Files over here. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's Bobby Fisher. He's an extra step ahead. Another Melfi exchange I want to get to before we move on from to the final stuff. She has a great line where the, he's, Tony's talking about like the, the founding fathers. I think on the History Channel the other night in the American Revolution. You know, we're the only country in the world where the pursuit of happiness is guaranteed in writing. You believe that? Huh? Bunch of fucking spoiled brats. Where's my happiness then? It's the pursuit that's guaranteed. Yeah, always a fucking loophole, right? So good. So good. Tony mentions the George Sanders long walk, which is a reference to suicide. 
Um, I had to look that up. I actually didn't know that. Um, it's from an Academy Award-winning actor who left behind a suicide note reading, Dear World, I am leaving because I am bored. I am leaving you with your worries in the sweet cesspool. Cesspool. Which is like a fishbowl. Which is like a fishbowl. Boom. Um, final sequence. It was a beautiful sequence. It was such a simple thing. It's getting us out. Somehow we went from suffocation this entire episode to liberation. We're out of the fishbowl, and the camera choices were a great touch to convey this to. Polly's catch and raise. The Tony and Agent Harris relationship is continuing to materialize, which we've been talking about since the beginning, even when Justin was on the pod. Like, we've always liked agent harris from the beginning he's yeah. always been likable and he literally just comes in to talk shop yeah not to not to do anything incriminating or or to gather any information it was a very casual conversation in an uh, episode that nothing really happened this was an ending where nothing really happened it was just the regularness of life just ending this but show. it was on an upbeat note it was the music, i don't know i don't no? know because there was a car crash which to me how i thought of this whole thing was this which path you're gonna do what choices and there's like a literal car crash that happened that's why they all ran outside to see what happened so i was like that's just a reminder that sometimes people aren't on the wrong the right path or making the right choices or people die and then the carmine reference they the guy who crashed was Carmine? Yeah. Who are we talking about here? That's I don't not, know. Yeah, I know. I feel like Carmine, Naya, you could probably validate. I feel like Carmine's a dime a dozen, right? I don't know that many Carmines, but okay. I'm sure in... Do you know a Carmine? No. Damn. I felt like it, the last scene was a fishbowl within a fishbowl for me. I see that. You've made reference before that you thought that the front of the Satrialis was bugged. Yeah. Given by the panning of the camera or the angle of the yep. camera. Did yep. you validate anything in that scene all the time because they have a fbi comes to have a lot of conversations with tony right outside satriel oh and pussy too and pussy. Uh, looking from the in. angle and he checks like to and see. then he turns around and he goes back in he's yeah. the only one that left the crew you know that's all look yeah it's all none of it probably leads to anything but the point of this is that it's fun to talk about it's fun yeah. to speculate just like in the nba it's fun to talk about the idea that anthony davis might be a los angeles laker next month that's really? exciting even though it might not happen everybody's talking about the notion of lebron james and anthony davis teaming up wow so the speculation is interesting and again i the agent harris thing they have most of their conversations with tony happen outside satrial totally even when they got all that, um, like, Italian army stuff, Pussy's line, whether it means something or not, he goes, I know nothing. Yeah. Which it's like, of he could have thought of anything else to say, it but they chose to, to write that. It 100% means something. Yeah. And we, as the we viewer, know. we know, but Tony doesn't know. And that's another cool thing about the show is that we're in on something, but we're also not in on certain things. So we know some things that the characters don't know, and, 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 and that just makes it so, like, visceral. So good. Every time you watch it. Um, most rewatchable scene? Junior with his hand stuck. The acting was phenomenal and his reaction was great. You flex <laughs> That was my most rewatchable and favorite scene in this one. My nitpick was Connie's reaction when Tony says he's going. She has a very ridiculous reaction, bad acting, a little too long, and this is before they've had sex. So I just don't get why she had this weird stop in the, I don't know. Favorite quote? It was when Janice asked if uh, Junior was going to, if he didn't you call 911? And he's like, with what? My fucking toes? Could a Netflix series be spun off on the basis of this episode? What would it look like? So I'll get to you guys in a moment. I just want to finish off mine. The Neil Mink lecture series is where Neil sits down with clients and refuses their money until he actually does something for them. I'd watch that. So at bad. least the first episode. <laughs> what do you got, Naya? 
Mine was Born Again, the Connie story of leaving Christianity. That's a great one because that's totally specific to this episode. Yeah. So I have three. One Bring may it. not make it. One's okay. And then the other one is like kind of a discussion. So I have, um, in life, one must choose between boredom and suffering. And that's why there's this new Netflix show called Burning Ants with Magnifying Glasses. <laughs> The show that urges you to turn off the show and go out and burn ants with magnifying glasses. So it's like a National Geographic slash, you know, feel-good show. I have one mouth, two ears. Uh, A step behind the doors into Melfi's office where we examine her other patients. The series, so boring, uh, like her other patients, you may want to break out the vodka. The Belvedere, yeah. And then, drumroll, I have Catherine Romano undercover mother (laughs) so the play here is she didn't have a bunion and her son like blew the tell on that because he just looked like he shouldn't be there they knew that they needed to get more on junior so they planted her based off of this detective knowing the somewhat of association that junior would trust her and she kind of he blew her off a few times She kept coming to his house. She was bringing things. I think she's there as a mole to try to get more info to build the case against the Sopranos. That makes sense why she decides to go down into the basement on her own. Because they want them to plant a a device in the basement. That Mm -hmm. or or she thinks he's not giving anything away, which becomes a theme later on. He falls asleep. He's snoring. She puts the sleep apnea device on him. And then we don't know what she's doing in that house. She's an FBI informant. Undercover mother. <laughs> Undercover mother. That's the best one by That's a mile. That's so good. Yes. Yeah. Way better than Carmela's book club, too, I would think. Carmela's book club had, had legs, but it was too easy. It was too easy. Italian women talking about the Irish experience. I know. That's why I took it off. <laughs> Last call. You guys have anything? I got two things. I guess we kind of touched on it. Do we really think Tony's bored, or do we just think he's depressed? He's bored because he wants to be that shark that's doing ceaseless activity. And eating gabagool in his kitchen, listening to his wife, is putting a real curb on that. Yeah. But he's also depressed. Because this is the first time we see panic attacks without his mother being some sort of... Trigger. Trigger. And he has a physical rash. So I just, in my head, there's got to be... I think it is what that what you're saying. He's depressed, too, because in multiple episodes this season, things haven't been going well with AJ. Yeah. Things haven't been going well with Meadow. And, you know, he thought he was going to go to jail. Yeah. And he's like, just, they can do whatever they want with me once once my kids are grown up. Yeah. So he's already thinking about life after being the boss. Like, it's not going to end well for him. And that's depressing. Yeah. But wasn't that exciting? You got any last calls, my friend? No. Okay. So I have two. Tony drops a basketball reference. <laughs> when asked about the Nets, who were then playing in New Jersey, he mentions Jason Williams. The thing is, that player hadn't played on the Nets since April of 99, okay? And this episode was aired in 2000. I think this was intentional, though, to show that Tony just doesn't know what he doesn't know. It's kind of like trying to just be like a guy talking about the game. Rather than a script error. I don't think it was a script error. I think it was intentional to show that Tony's... Because the Nets in Mm. this era were like NBA Finals contenders. They had Jason Kidd, they had Kenyon Martin, and they were going against the Lakers to win it all. So they were like a nationally recognized team, but he totally botched a player reference, and I think it was because it was just like Tony's above it. or like As opposed to the writers who are geniuses and would never make that kind of an error. That's a Uh, good one. Finally, by all accounts, this episode, as many of us have mentioned over and over again, was considered slow. But the show 
is like a piece of classical music, right? And a slow build is what I always say. There's a, m- a bunch of episodes, even with, when it was you, me, and Justin on a couple, like, this episode was slow, like the, the music episode or something. There was some episode where it was like nothing. We call them filler episodes. I filler think episodes, yeah. yeah. But it's like a classical piece where it's slow to build to a climactic ending peppered with quick bursts along the way. That's what this episode was. And it sets you up for what we're going to see next week. And if you look back at the history of the show, every episode that is like OMG, like headburst emoji episode, is always preceded by a slow burn. Yep. So it's like a roller coaster. Well said. Cheers. Thank you, John. Thank you, Naya. Thank you. We'll see you next week. Your flexion. <laughs>